Hey everyone, welcome to today's episode of Torquem Talk. Today we have the mayor of Bend, Sally Russell. We discuss everything from Bend's huge population growth and how we can let the infrastructure support that, how in the world there's no wildfires right now, why is that, how can we let that keep on happening, and we also have what is Bend gonna look like in 20 years? How do we make sure we keep the culture we have today? How do we make sure we keep that charm? How do we make sure that it doesn't become this bustling huge city, or if it does, that we have the infrastructure structure to handle it and a lot more about Ben and its growing pains and the good things that are happening all sorts of stuff she's a fascinating woman so without further ado please enjoy this wide-ranging conversation between the mayor of Ben Sally Russell and I well mayor <laughs> welcome on the show Fun, really good to have you here mayor sally here. russell yeah yeah hey. um so uh we had a very interesting dinner last night um getting to know each other because the last night would be the first time we've met and mm -hmm. mitch was there too and um uh had a wonderful dinner at bistro 28 and covered all sorts of stuff um absolutely fascinating um a lot of the things i was like figuring out what are some of the issues that we could jump into um, things that uh, affect businesses, affect people, affect Bend, obviously. And we hit on a bunch of different things. One of the things I would like to pick your brain on and uh, more and to have people here is like this affordable housing problem that is happening in Bend. And um, basically, Bend, if it stays at the same rate, could easily end up becoming the next Aspen where younger people um are not able to live here they're going to need to live in lapine uh, sisters uh redmond and that is already happening to an extent but then having it more of a scale when you have the average home in ben being what is it about four hundred and thirty thousand dollars? i think i might be wrong on that but i think it's around there um this side of the river decide that mazamazan where we're sitting right now is much higher than that as far as the average home mm -hmm. prices mm -hmm. uh and, and, it, and it, averages back down on the east side um so people say yeah we need affordable housing but then people show up at like your city halls or they just kind of say grumbling like yeah yeah affordable housing but why are they building this big apartment complex right here on the west side right next to mazama the the big cranes if you haven't seen them ben and then you're blind that's putting up was it six stories uh six-story apartment yeah. complex and people are like, oh, that's gonna bring so many people and stuff like that. But then they turn their face and they're like, oh, but I want affordable housing. So what are they not seeing or what's going on with that paradigm? So to speak? So as you will find, and you found out last night, I love to parse problems apart. But here's where I will start. Affordable housing is absolutely the highest priority along with transportation for the city of N, it's mm -hmm. exceedingly high priority for the state of Oregon, was for the state legislature. Our team and staff worked with people in the state legislature to craft and make sure that the affordable housing um, bills that came forward and policymaking really reflected all the work that we have done in Central Oregon and in Bend and that it worked for our side of the Cascades as well as for what's going on in some of these larger metropolitan communities on the west side. So I'll start there. So, but what what makes a home affordable? So I'm going to parse that apart for you. Just yeah, yeah, good. A I moment, was, uh, and I, I'll let you answer that. But yeah. and maybe I should let you answer that. But so, what makes a house affordable? I mean, what are all the contributions? Like, one would be what your income is. Mm -hmm. Another would be what it costs for you to get there. 
Another would be how much it costs for you to heat it in the wintertime. Sure. Another piece of it is like what the interest rate is mm -hmm. and how much you actually have to pay um, on a monthly basis. So um, all those are contributing factors. How much does it cost to purchase the materials to buy the house? And then how much does it cost to actually bring the sewer and the water and the roads or the transportation infrastructure to that, the front door of that building. So the other thing that we tend to forget is when you live in a certain house, you like it, you're comfortable with it. That's kind of what you envision in housing that's right for mm -hmm. Bend. But the reality of it is, is that we have people all different ages with all different types of housing needs. So how do we build a community and make sure going forward, it really meets the variety of needs for the variety of people and ages and income levels in our community. And that's, for me, what's going to create our thriving, vibrant community going forward. Okay. So how do you do that when you have people that have uh, higher incomes pushing against it and putting their resources against it, silently or publicly, but it happens? Well, when you create policy, you one of the things that I like to say, um, which is true, like we've done, I think, 35 to 40 different policy shifts within mm -hmm. the city, and you go in with a scalpel. And what you do is you try to shift the profit line for the people who are building the homes in Bend. Mm -hmm. So for builders, then all of a sudden you, like um, people talk about greater density, but land is pretty expensive, right? So if you consolidate parking in a slightly different way, you've just given that builder a little more land. So maybe he or she or that company can add maybe one or two more units. So for that parcel of land, you all, instead of having one unit, maybe you have two or three units. Um, and then you work with a parks district to have a park that's within half a mile. Mm -hmm. And so you begin to sort of compensate and make possible different types of housing units and decrease um, the cost per unit. And you've also increased the profit margin for that builder. So if you have, if you start shifting policy to allow the profit margin to really be attractive for those types of units, as well as maybe equal or better than the people who are building the multi-million dollar houses, then that's one way to bring affordable housing here. And then, you know, we're looking at a, a model program the state awarded to the city of Bend with a little bit of um, support, I'll say, sort of financial support yeah. and sort of streamlining to be able to build some huge um, sort of forward-thinking affordable housing projects over on the east side right sort of right by just east of 27th on highway 20 so again right you're you're taking the scalpel and you're just gently sort of shifting what it takes to create affordable type housing for bend then how do you make uh how do you deal with the complain complainers so to speak of when they see affordable housing going up with uh, in this uh, case the example of um uh the apartment complex going up right near mazama that they're like oh the traffic that's going to come from that oh the traffic it's going to be awful the traffic what do you say to that so what happens if like you build a home and then right next is your favorite pizza place a grocery store where you can get the basics um maybe a place to get your hair cut mm -hmm. or 
you know, buy books or drink your coffee, right? All of a sudden, and, you know, four or five or six different employers are right next door. So, yeah, like the people don't have to drive anymore, right? And business industrial complex. Exactly. Right here. So, I have plenty of people who talk to me and say, I work at the Deschutes Brewery, but right now I have to commute from the east side. You know, it costs me money to do that. Uh, I would love to have more housing closer to where I work and I pay a little bit more for it because I would save time and I would save money to get there. So it would create less traffic. So, yeah. And and we're so used to thinking homes traffic. Yeah. And to a certain extent, that's so. Mm -hmm. But the other piece of it is, is you start building those services and those jobs closer to where people live. Not everybody is going to use them, right? It's not going to, it's not a one-to-one -one ratio, yeah. but you're going to decrease oh, the overall increase, which is really what all the planning and been throughout the entire city in the north, south, east, and west in the new developments and within the older areas of Bend, we're striving more for that type of sort of vibrant community centers all over our city. Yeah, it's also like uh, the town, like just getting a bike is so set up for it, especially over here where that apartment complex is going up. I mean, I live um, really close to the office here. It's about a four minute bike commute. And I bike about 70% of the days um, here in the summer, winter, not so much because I'll just right. get myself killed. But in the uh, in the summer, I'm biking all the time. And there's this there's there's something that a lot of people are missing. Um, one is uh, I get to park right next to Wild Rose or right next to whatever restaurant I'm looking to yeah, go to. Yeah, pirate parking anywhere. Any right? Yeah, it's I great. get to park wherever I want to. Yep. Um, I don't have to worry about that. Um, I actually uh, will be leaving Mazama, which you know we're close to. For those who don't know where we're located, really close to the Deschutes Brewery. Not the real, the the big brewery, not the one downtown. And so I'll have a team member I'll be like, okay, let's go to lunch. I'm like I'm gonna bike and they're gonna drive. I'm like I'm gonna beat you significantly. Like no, you're not. And I'm sure enough in the restaurant downtown with like sometimes seven to ten minutes. I was waiting for them, looking so, for parking. Great examples. So, yeah, and there you go. The other thing and you get from think it, of creating that all over our city. Oh, you get so a not sense everybody of, has to drive downtown. Maybe right now on mm -hmm. the east side, there are plenty of places. There is, you know, where the, you can go eat outside mm -hmm. and like you know, food courts or you know, there's some great restaurants now on the east side. Like they is. don't have to travel all the way across town to get there. That's very it's pretty true. sweet, huh? It is. And then the other thing that it does when you're in a bike instead of your um, one of my friend and I uh, kind of dubbed this name for a lot of these um, trucks, which I'm guilty of having one and just big SUVs and stuff like that as your uh, ego chariots. And so when you get outside <laughs> oh, of your I ego, heard that, yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, we came up with it when you get outside of your ego chariot where you think that like everybody has to like succumb to you and you're in this big thing and and I'm going to speed past you and, and you're kind of just in this metal protective chariot and you don't have to worry about what other people are really doing or thinking. Not that everybody does that, but I get that case a lot, especially when I'm on my bike and I'm getting kind of cut off from other people. But when I am on my bike and I'm seeing other bikers and everything first, I'm not in this chariot. I'm like out and I'm it's me. And so I'm all the bikers are like waving to each other. And actually the majority of cars here because i've biked in the chicago area and they just try to kill you here they're actually you know you occasionally run across a jerk but for the most part they're very very aware of you going into the roundabout mm -hmm. and that's great but leading into that like okay so that leads to less traffic and another thing that people get griped up about is ah oh, the growth 
and the traffic and the infrastructure and how, how and why, and I don't know what to do and just stopped it growing. And this sucks and bumper stickers to say, Ben sucks. Don't move here, even though they love it. So how do we keep this culture and keep this transportation down? I mean, all these problems that you're seeing people complain about, what are you looking to do? So can I go back for a moment? Oh yeah, I'm going off. Cause <laughs> <laughs> let me go backwards to a couple pieces. Um, First of all, I just want to recognize the Bend Park District, which is very separate. It's a separate, separate board, separate taxing district from the city of Bend. But we do have a partnership with them in terms of creating transportation corridors throughout our community that are for people who do choose or want, for whatever reason, to walk or to bike or mm -hmm. use different kinds of ways of getting around town than their car. The other thing that I want to recognize is that as the mayor of Bend, I recognize that we have to build a transportation system for all the users in our community. So whether or not you are a delivery truck, whether or not um, you're a mom or a school bus getting your kids to school, whether or not you're trying to get to work, um, whether or not it's a snowy day or a sunny day, um, you all need to be able to get to where you need to go. So we need to build a transportation throughout our community that recognizes the diversity of needs and uses that we have on our on our streets and on our sidewalks and our pathways. Mm -hmm. So I just want to mention that because I think it's really important for us to recognize like not just our use, but everybody else's use and that it's equally valuable and we need to create a system long-term that really, and, and also let's talk about the pocketbook, right? Some people can really afford the gas. Other people are like, if they don't have to pay for that gas, that gives them the opportunity to get their child in a, in a program that they're dying to do or buy mm -hmm. an extra set of school books or clothes or what are shoes or whatever it is, right? I mean, food. people make food. Yeah. So people make financial choices every day. So part of my job is to create a variety of options so that people, depending on their watch and their pocketbook, um, you know, they can really get where they need to go within our community. So I wanted to say that because I think it's really important for people to understand. Absolutely. So um, so you had asked about keeping the culture. Oh, wait, before we go there, there's sure. one. So I was listening to the radio this morning. And the other thing that I want to just say is that transportation is changing. So people are using battery-powered bicycles, their scooters, I'm sure that will probably come to Bend in some form or way. Autonomous vehicles. Autonomous vehicles are going to come. I mean, Barrier the here. way Teslas we... Teslas are autonomous. Yeah. Oh, they, they very much I've are. driven them. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I've driven in a Tesla. Mm -hmm. Yeah. We've, I've, we've experimented with it. Mm -hmm. Or not only experimented, I mean, we've driven up yeah. and down, you know, the highways. Um, and yeah, who would have thunk? Mm -hmm. Certainly when I was watching men, you know, men landing on the moon with my grandmother, she could, I mean, that was, yeah. I mean, she was in a horse-drawn buggy in the Rose Parade, you know, in the 1890s, right? I mean, what, you know, here we are. That's pretty cool. Yeah. So mm -hmm. technology keeps changing. And so you can't, you want to build a city and continue to acknowledge what's here today. And you've got to keep thinking for and what's tomorrow. And it's hard for people who are just trying to get from here to there. I today, actually gave a to like for, dream about tomorrow. There was a Ben 2030 talk at the Tower Theater and they had me um, speak at it on uh, autonomous vehicles. And uh, what I believe is going to happen is like a complete uh, change in how we look at transportation and parking lots and stuff like that. When that comes and so they're like a lot of those talking about well we need more roads anything like that i was just like i was like we need the what i truly believe is going to end up happening is that it's going to be a rise of a subscription services of a car 
And then you won't need to have That's a re- possible too. Yeah. yeah. You won't have a need to buy a car, but you have a need to buy a subscription to one and it continuously drives around, meaning it's not parking, meaning all the parking structures you could convert to apartment complexes for affordable housing. And why build all these additional parking lots and uh, and uh, roads when all the cars are consistently moving, when 90% of their day yeah, then, is doing what they're doing right here. But then you may have more congestion, more traffic, right? I mean, there's just all... It's like, well, if this happens, that happens, right? There's always the move this piece, it shifts that piece over there. And so it's like, how does it all work together as a whole? Well, one thing with autonomous vehicles that's really fascinating is they're, um, they're developing ways on communicating with each other, especially with the rise of 5G technology. So when they communicate with each other, they would make the flow through a roundabout and any sort of traffic that much more smoother because when they're communicating, oh, we are going or let these next three go. Um, so that would, I think, alleviate a lot of pressure. But um, if you did have the cars that are constantly moving, when they stop, they could, you know, park and charge somewhere. But now you're like, okay, now all this area we have for parking, we can use for other things. Yeah. I think that's a beautiful thing that could easily happen. So, or just smaller vehicles, like you were saying, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, if you're on a, a moped bike. or a bike mm-hmm. or a two-seater electric vehicle. Right, it just takes less space and allows more space for other uses. So, so not an eight foot bed on a truck. <laughs> well, and then I mean, like in the when we redid the Mirapon parking lot, right? We allowed for um, longer vehicles, mm-hmm. frankly, so they have a place to park in downtown too. So you, again, you got to keep in mind, like we have different users and sure. and different needs. So, so you were talking about vibrancy. So, can we go back to that? Why don't you leave of me course. out once more? On that one, on that question. The vibrancy of our culture. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, it's just what you constantly hear in Bend, right? You constantly hear people grumbling about the change and they point fingers uh, at different demographics, most of them Californians. Um, and that's just kind of like, uh, what, like, oh, it's, it's changing this, this, and that. Um, I personally haven't seen it. Um, I've been living here for eight years and um, I've seen more people here, but people are kind. People are nice. People smile. People stop. People don't run me over. And that has not gone anywhere. And I'm very, very happy about that. I think people need to realize that too. When they walk around up and down the sidewalk, that people are still smiling. People are holding holding open doors to you because it doesn't exist everywhere. I was just in Sun Valley, smaller town than this. And my one gripe, the town's really nice, but my one gripe with it is I constantly got no smiles, no thank yous, no, anything like that. It feels good to come back to Bend after that kind of treatment. It does. It and does. That, that's a town yeah. of, um, I think their population is 12,000. So I was really yeah. happy. I was like, huh, here we are at 90, somewhere in the 90s, and we still have that. Yeah, and I'll just, you know, and Sun Valley is a really different kind of community, though, than Bend is, right? I mean, it's unlike Bend and sort of what we're striving, right? We talked so much about affordable housing at the beginning of this interview. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, we're still to create, trying and working hard to create that integration of, you know, different people from all different backgrounds and all different socioeconomic. Speaking of that really quick, why is it that... um the person who might be saying, yes, we need affordable housing, but not my backyard. Why don't they want it in their backyard? You know, I think when, often when we say that, we forget that we have our aunts and our grandmothers and our cousins and our kids that are just trying to get out of school and or the people who serve on 
in our public safety. Or the not as, uh, yeah, yeah, I mean, you know, they're the people who are showing up on the scene, you know, as the medics. You know, they're the administrative assistants that are working, like, in our offices throughout our community. They're our teachers. I mean, they're not earning you know, huge amounts of money. Mm -hmm. and, and don't we want those wonderful people living next to us? Don't we want to create the opportunity and make sure we sustain that going into the future? What do you think they think they are? You, think it's you like know, I think we forget. I think that we're, we just forget sometimes, um, you know, as we're like, as we're going, you know, as we're standing in the old mill listening to a concert or hanging out at Munch and Music, right? We forget that we're, a mix and blend of people with different, you know, again, you know, different, different amounts incomes, of money in yeah. our pocketbook. And we're all there as a community enjoying these cool things. And um, people forget that at times when they're making that sort of that narrow thing. You know, they're, they, they forget that really how valuable money? that mix is. They think they'll make less money by living near somebody who is just getting started or who's oh, in a service of not making money. I and they're in a virtuous career like that of a firefighter or a teacher. You know, I think everybody Do not comes. Associate with virtue. I think everybody comes from a different point of view, and I think you just need to calibrate it. I think when That's what I'm I trying to do right now, I'm trying like for people listening, it's like I never thought of it like that. Like, yeah, I guess if I did, if I wasn't next to him, like it's it's ridiculous to think that your stature, your status, your ego is going to be hit by just living near some people that are doing something that you need in yeah, your community. I think it's. Often, wherever we live, right, in whatever part of town, right, we're used to what we have. We're, you know, comfortable with our neighbors. We're comfortable what it looks like right now. Um, and so anything that's changed that's unknown, it's really hard to sort of envision that, that shift, even mm -hmm. though whether or not it's renters moving in right next to you or a building that gets rebuilt from you know, from a single family home until a duplex or triplex, it's hard to sort of envision that shift in what it might bring. And you know, you don't have, you know, it's, it's a, we all have our freedoms, right? So yeah. it may not be what, what you wanted. And so there's that not having control over the changes happening next to you often that's driving that. But I think the, more than anything, why, so it's why acceptance. Why get upset over that lack of control? You don't have I, control I think over we anything. all do that to a certain extent. So when I think of somebody who is you know, really doesn't want, you know, um, a larger apartment complex. I mean, I think they're thinking in that moment just of how they wish their life would never change. But in reality, it is changing, right? It, it has changed. They, they lead their life often, you know, most of us, you know, by what's happening on this little tiny phone in our hand, right? I mean, that wasn't even so 15 years ago. And so we are adapting to change in all these different ways. Um, and we'd rather have more over less control over it. But ultimately, um, you know, as I look in Bend and I look at the changes happened in Bend, and when I moved here, there were only country western radio, pretty much. Mm -hmm. um, a little bit of rock and roll. Um, there is no public radio at all. There is no Fred Myers. We all went shopping over in the valley. Um, yeah, I mean, you went on the trails and you were the only one. So, or are you, you know, but you couldn't swim in the river because it was against the law. And I remember going floating down the Deschutes one day and going, why isn't anyone here? It's like 95 degrees and this feels good. So, you know, that, that got changed over time, right? But my point is, is that 
our world will always change. What will happen Even the to seasons a town that doesn't change? Like, what would happen to Bend if it didn't change? Um, you know, it might be a cool place, but I think, but even my street through generations, like, you know, I'm thinking our, my street has a lot of people have changed out of their houses two or three times now, right? Mm -hmm. Whether or not it's people just getting old and, you know, go, you know, passing away or, you know, or their families moving into those homes or whatever it is, or selling the homes because they got a job opportunity someplace else. So change happens in all these different ways. And so all the people that I loved and, you know, have, mo you know, moved away pretty much. And then my kids grew up with, I mean, that sort of change is always happening. We just like to think that it isn't. Yeah. But if you aspire to be like, I want Ben to stay the way it is and I don't want any change to happen. And let's say you actually succeeded at that and you had a town like Ben that didn't change. And it was just what it is right now. Just snapshot. This is the way it is. Everybody does the same thing. You can't, first of all, that is not a possible thing. But let's just say it was. The rest of the world is going to be changing. So what's going to be happening as the rest of Oregon and the rest of the United States and the world continues to change and go into different industries and we stay exactly the way we are? What you, will eventually Do you think happen? that's realistic? Well, no, I, what I think would happen is we wouldn't be able to adapt because we never change anything. And so the town would die. It's possible. Yeah. I, yeah. Because all of a sudden you have who knows what the new things are coming. But like, no, we're not going to do that because we don't want to change. And eventually that's going to be the death of the town. Well, remember, Ben, 15, 20 years ago, had two major industries, construction, development. Right. And tourism. And tourism. That, those Right. Those were sort of the two foundational and there was, you know, the health industry was mm -hmm. was coming along, too. But those were sort of the three primary. There were other businesses and other types of industries, but percentage wise, it was much less. Today, we have a much and in the 2000s, I mean, Bend crashed harder than the rest of Oregon, the rest of the country. Yeah, I wasn't only second to Miami. Um, oh GDP. gosh, you may know that. I don't know. I that think it was just. Sec I think it was just second to Miami GDP wise. So I mean, we talk sort of sometimes nostalgically about sort of the old times, but I mean, it was tough. It was rough. I mean, I've been through at least four economic cycles in Bend, where you know houses were on the chopping block and people just moved out and left their homes because there was no no way for them to either live in Bend or, or raise their family in Bend. They left. Mm -hmm. So in this diversity, diversification of our economy and um, all the we, industries we have now. And that we have been able to bring up since 2012, especially since 2012, I mean, should give us much more resiliency than, you know, the state, the state and the country. Um, so have we given away a little bit in terms of sort of our culture? You know, but hopefully not that much. And what does that mean? I mean, it gives us greater stability for to raise our families and to live our lives the way we really want to in this town. I think that's really important for people to understand. Mm -hmm. I mean, people took their lives, right? During right, some yeah, did, yeah. really wonderful people down the street that I knew really well were just so crushed by it, right? They they opted out of the world. And I think that's tragic. And we want to create a vibrant, sustainable, um, resilient culture 
and resilient economy for Bend that really gives us a better chance of taking everything that we, by and large, really like about this town and, and hold on to it going forward. So I think as mayor of Bend, I look at whether or not we're looking at transportation or affordable housing or homelessness or mental health, public safety, all those people, you know, mm -hmm. um, resiliency and, um, and thriving businesses, right? It all come, it all works together to create a community. And then you pile on top of it, right? This cultural friendliness and this place where people like to come and visit and who like to be here and live here. And I, I, that's pretty good, actually. I agree. I mean, what have you got? Let's not think about what we haven't got or mm -hmm. what we're afraid of, but let's think about what we have and how to really make sure that whatever we do, we really create what we have and love in this community going forward. And we really work hard to make the rest of our world better. Yeah. I mean, we have a growing, vibrant community that's creating more opportunity. So when the next crash happens, because it will, this won't be hurt as hard because we're not just dependent on real estate development and tourism. Both those things die first. Yeah. So what have we got? We've got tech, we've got pharmaceutical, we have outdoor recreation, mm -hmm. we have a really strong public health. I mean, it goes on and on and on. I haven't even begun to nick it all, right? right. Yeah. But aerospace, right? Look at what's happening at the airport again. Mm -hmm. So if I haven't named your business, pardon me, but um, I mean, it it's because there's so many and we no, have so many side. thriving corners. Yeah. yeah. Oh, oh yeah. yeah. Well, I love, yeah, yeah. I, I love drinking beer. Yeah. I shoots, like the choice I mean, heck, we have. It's that started in uh, 86 with Gary Fish and Deschutes. And now there's like 27 breweries and you have like just huge, it's like its own industry. You couldn't not look at 10 barrel and the amount of people employees in the same with to shoots and be like, oh, that's that doesn't count. Like, oh no, it very much does. And you know, my point is, and I haven't listened to Gary Fish's entire podcast, mm -hmm. but the point is, Shoots Brewery has had to reinvent itself again and again and again. And it's doing it again. And it's doing it again. Yeah. Yeah. And creating different partnerships and really vibrancy. And then so many of the brewers have spun off and done really wonderful things mm -hmm. in the craft brewing industry. So I think right, and and that's a perfect example. About, like uh, no, yeah, you know, for any city, yeah. for any household, right? You recreate as you go through time. You have to be nimble and recreate. Most people just can't stay in the solid, like never changing status quo. I mean, you know, my kids grew up. You know, I mean, there was a big shift between middle school and high school. Let me tell you, I'm from high school to college, here we are, and now they're almost graduating from college. But let me tell you, that's a big change too, right? So. That's just the sort of the family as an example of the changes that you automatically move through and you accept and mm -hmm. you recognize are going to happen. So in when you have a community, it's a little hard to harder to anticipate exactly. And certainly with the technological overlay, it's harder to anticipate the twists and turns and where you're going to need to go next. So on, um, I wanted to go back to traffic really quick oh, yeah. and what's causing a lot of the traffic today that we're seeing. Um, I just want to keep a, a another quick side note on plugging biking because not enough people doing it. Just uh, for those people who get kind of frustrated at like uh, certain intersections and roundabouts when they get kind of full, turns out when you're on a bike, you just go past all that and then you <laughs> merge right into it. Just saying. <laughs> but where does this come from? Where, um, why is it that we see such a surge in traffic like in the mornings, um, especially when school comes in? I'm alluding to what we were talking about last night because oh, you yeah. taught me something. 
Yeah. So, um, you know, when my parents, when I was a young girl, there was no choice but to ride the school bus in my mm -hmm. family. I mean, we had to get on that school bus. That and if we didn't too. figure yeah. out how to, and if we missed the school bus, we literally had to walk a mile and take public transit. Oh, really? Yep. Oh, and I was so, lucky enough. And I lived in Portland and it rained a lot. My mom was pissed. No, but my, no <laughs> I didn't, we didn't even have that option. I yeah. mean, we basically had like, I can't remember how much it was to ride the bus, but we had to walk a mile and didn't matter if it was raining or whatever and get the public bus and get to school. Mm -hmm. And that was just the way it was. Um, and so my children too, I mean, I worked, so I didn't want to spend the time driving them to school. So I refused. I would get them up. We'd, you know, we'd have a good breakfast. We'd walk to the bus. It was kind of a nice little walk actually for mm -hmm. me. And we'd sometimes watch the sun rise because it was that early in a winter day. Um, and I think over time, what's happened is, is as the value of time has become more critical, on one hand, right? So how long does it take you to get to school? Okay. And the second piece is, so kids want to get up closer to the time they have to be at school. And the other piece is, is that, you know, some families have the flexibility within their structure to either carpool or just drive their children to school. And, but that does clock up our streets in the mornings and the afternoons. So I think finding um, more efficient ways to move sort of, how many kids do we have, you know, at any given school, right? It's hundreds, thousands, hundreds, thousands, yeah. right? There are a lot of children in our, mm -hmm. in our community who are using single occupancy vehicles, right? More or less, you know, you've got a mom, you've got a kid, maybe a couple to get to school. That's a lot of cars that you're all of a sudden putting on the road at that moment. And so as people so are trying yeah. to go to work, as people are maybe trying to get to their powder day, right? That's sure. happened. That's, but I mean, we're all trying to get where we need to go. Delivery trucks are trying to get to the grocery stores to get things unloaded right before people come in and need to get this stuff off the shelves. I and mean, you, now you so have all these parents needs. that are needing to take their kids on their own to school. And then they complain about it. You won't come out and just say, I'll just say it. You guys need to please get your kids on the bus. It's going to help the roundabouts a lot. <laughs> I mean, well, I, I, yeah, I, just find, I mean, recognize that there are different choices. And I mean, there may, you know, there may be reasons like, for instance, um, you know, skis actually aren't allowed on the buses. So mm -hmm. sometimes you there are reasons why you've got to, you know, why at that moment you need to drive your children to school. I know but, moms that just drive their kids to school every single day. Yeah. And I mean, I think you have to understand if you're going to complain about the traffic, then you are the traffic. Then you become part of the, you know, yeah. you become part of the traffic. And so um, who else really needs to be on the road at that time, right? There's some people who truly can't walk. And there's some people who really need to drive, you know, have no way the transit isn't working for them. They need to drive all the way across our town and and they need those roadways or the de delivery trucks, right? Mm -hmm. Again, they need to be there. The service vehicles that you need to come work on your plumbing or your electrical. So there are, if when you make that decision, it, you know, it may cost you a little more time, but a little less money on gas. Well, I've, I've noticed. When so it, right, you contribute to the yeah. community in a greater, broader way. And I've, I've picked up my nephew several times from his elementary school. Um, what's it called? The one that's um, near, in Northwest Crossing um, area near 
kind of near Summit, whatever. Uh, but at his elementary school and picking him up has been, it's just this madhouse of, yeah, it's this madhouse of cars going in. It's just insane of cars going in on both sides, all angles to pick up all these kids at once and then all leaving. And I'm just like, oh my gosh, like, but then there's this bus system. And one thing, I mean, you can have some parents that are also thinking, well, this is a good time for me to be able to bond with my kid, which I'd be like, okay, well, that's also why you can like sit around at dinner and have no phone time and things of that nature. And you can make up for that time as well. But the one thing, um, as I'm just seeing this, as I've seen this problem with my own eyes on just one school, and this happened in multiple schools at the same time, all these cars going out to pick up all these kids. The amount of social uh, development that I had for my bus rides is profound because when you're in class and everything like that, you know, you can talk a little bit amongst and, you know, pass notes and stuff like that. But that social development is really happening. Yeah, there's a lot friends. of really great social time that happened on this on bus. The bus. That is true. Yeah. And you so know, I'm we missing were, that with yeah. my peers. Yeah, that's definitely true. And peers at different ages, right? Because you're on the school bus with mm -hmm. all the kids that are going to that school. And so you've got the different ages and the different types of neighborhoods. It's not just your tight little, you know, and it, but it's, you know, within a, a broader radius. And I think that's, those are, those are good. Those are great opportunities actually to develop sort of social skills, as you said, mm -hmm. um, that overall will serve kids much more strongly. But, Absolutely. you know, and I look forward to really having this conversation with my colleagues on the school board because um, it is an opportunity, I believe, for better livability um, in our community going forward. And yeah. so it, um, you know, but again, it's an old mill town and in many areas there aren't sidewalks or there aren't safe ways for children to even ride their bikes right which is why separated paths and different ways of you know having kids even move that half mile between their home and the school um right we need to be more conscious as a community and as a school district sort of and we are increasingly stronger in building those um separated corridors and those safe pathways for kids to get from their homes to their schools and school district and the park district and the city of Bend are partnering better and better. And I'm proud of that. That's really one ones. of my priorities as well, right? There's so many ways to solve, you know, to make our lives better. What are some future ones coming down the pike that you're looking forward to? Oh my gosh, you're going to have to, I'm going to have to go grab a map and update. You know, mm -hmm. people always want to look at me as sort of the ultimate, like, fact queen. You're not an encyclopedia. <laughs> I'm, you know, I know, I know a little bit about a lot and there's mm -hmm. some things that I dig really deep, but other times I have to like, okay, bring that map back and like, let's pour over it. And mm -hmm. I'm happy to do that, you yeah. know, but there's some fun stuff coming though. Yeah, always. I mean, mm -hmm. we have a transportation plan that's getting developed by the transportation advisory committee, a group of citizens, um, you know, that looks for 20 and, and up to 40 years. You know, and it means, and we recognize that we're going to have these community centers, that we are going to have people that need to move, have a greater choice in how they move throughout our community, even within their small neighborhoods to the local schools or businesses or right wherever yep. they want to go. It's cool. Um, I, wanted, I, I love that part. I wanted to uh, talk about something with you that's uh, very interesting to me. This whole thing's been interesting, but when you look outside, on August 20th, 
the sky is blue. And I don't remember the last time on August 20th that happened. And what I'm referring well, to is we're not on fire right now in August. Yeah, well, a few years ago, actually, remember the Millie Fire in Sisters, which mm -hmm. threw a lot of smoke into Central Oregon, and certainly the Sisters community as well as the Bend community. That didn't, you know, that happened during basically the eclipse. I mean, it, it was coincidental, by the right. way, but... Um, the lightning strikes that happened was early it August, or was it the? Oh, it was totally was it, because the lightning the strikes. God <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but the lightning strikes happened in early August, and then it dried out just enough, and the winds came up, and a lot of sort of the smoldering, you know, areas throughout our region all of a sudden came up and started to started to burn fast, right? Mm -hmm. And the Millie Fire was one of those. Um, so, I mean, this year, a couple things. One, there's so much attention on wildfire and how to manage it. Midterm, short-term, long-term. So, I can get into the weeds super fast on this. But what I will say is this year, we had a lot of rain, mm -hmm. which has helped. So, it keeps the humidity higher. Um, we've had high temperatures, but it hasn't been quite, I mean, consistently as high. And, um, and we are consistently um, throughout all the agencies that are responsible for uh, in public safety and for managing our public force and our private lands in terms of fire, they are all developing better and tighter protocol. And so all of that is happening and all of that contributes to what we're experiencing today. I think what's very important for people to recognize too is that in our woods, we have about 100 years worth of basically fuels that have fallen on the ground. Mm -hmm. And so it's not the forest that my grandparents knew 100 years ago in any way, shape, or form. Um, the And also because of climate change and the drying out, right, it just creates... Um, uh, you know, forests and natural spaces that are more ripe for fire that, you know, really gets fueled up and running faster than it might have. Mm -hmm. um, the, the prescribed fire that I have worked really hard to with the Deschutes Collaborative Forest Project, so many of us from all these 19 different stakeholders have worked hard to get the social license to go in and begin removing fuels. And that means your trees um, and all your plants are more fire resistant. Um, they're insect resilient. It's a healthier forest because that's what you, fire used to move through our landscape, especially on the east side, really consistently. Air, the return was every 5 to 25, 30 years. Mm -hmm. So now if we really want that healthier forest, if we want, you know, a really healthy ecoscape and for the deer, for the rabbits, for the lizards, you know, for the trees, for the flowers – um, we need to be more willing to accept that fire. there's to light it on fire. And yeah. it's a low, I mean, literally it's a low temp fire. So we remove um, most of the fuel and we, you know, very careful to leave the really big trees in place um, and, but remove the thickets. And then when they actually apply the fire, I can, I could walk on it. I have to be careful, but I could walk, you know, in the areas that were safe. Um, and didn't have huge burning logs. You know, I could walk on it with my bare feet. You can watch the lizards come out. 
and skitter across it like in an hour or two. It, I mean, it's really very different from a huge, massive fueled wildfire that, you know, smokes for weeks and, um, and has really destroyed the entire ecosystem, you know, really changed the ecosystem along with it. So how um, so how do we have more totally of those forest structure? I, I mean, it seems to be a fascinating. Mm. I, I I know what you're talking about. I, I'm a big avid outdoorsman, backpacker, and I've uh, one area that's incredibly bad, probably the worst um, that I've been kind of lost in at one point was um, uh, the Mount McLaughlin area wilderness. The fuel on the ground there was mm -hmm. unreal, and that's just it's still that was four or five years ago, and it's just primed to happen again, where it's just going to light up. Or, um, but that's also around town as well. Like you can see a lot of this fuel all over the ground. So to prescribe burns, um, how much of that would we need to make an August like this become a consistent thing? You know, um, I'm not going to put any numbers out today, but what I will say is that we need to do, you know, probably a hundred times more than we're doing right now. A hundred times? Yeah, it's a lot. So I mean, we have so we're doing, but for the entire yeah. for the entire force. But to really look at it today, what's most critical, I think, today is sort of human life and structural safety. So that's the sort of initial primary focus Isn't and that, air aren't quality they tied together. Or, mm -hmm, yeah. Totally, and so defensible space around your home. Mm -hmm. You know, whether if you live on the edge of the forest or in, even more so in the forest, sure. right? To have um, roofs that are non-flammable. There are types of vents you can actually put in your home that don't suck the actual sparks into your right into your attic. Mm -hmm. um, and then to be able to go and remove the fuel loads on the edge of the forest, so when the prevailing winds from the west begin mm -hmm. to move, whatever fires have ignited towards our you know towards our communities and towards our homes, we have a chance of getting in there safely. Mm -hmm. with our fire crews um, and more quickly to be able to sort of hold back those fires before they began to accelerate and advance towards our community and our homes. And, you know, it it's tricky because we need to be conscious and we all value the natural environment. If you're living in Bend, you, you love to recreate and you love our natural environment. But at some point there has to be some acceptance of the role of fire. And we're still struggling with that, I think, as a state, as a region, as a community, um, it's a balancing act. And you're not going to get to all the forests. So there are going to be some major forest fires. But the trick is really, I think, to be able to allow enough fuels to be able to get, begin, return back to what the forests were like 100, 200 thousands of years. I think that, sort of they're more natural. Think. Would you think that everyone would agree uh, in one unified front that they don't? Like they don't like living in like a smoky August. Oh, everybody hates it. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's so bad can, for the economy. It's bad for people who in the vulnerable communities who have asthma or older people who just don't have as or babies, right? It's one of the reasons why yeah, there's a ton tough. of plants in this office and there's uh, actually a lot more coming on Thursday. It's uh, for when that happens. It's so that we can create clean air in our mm -hmm. own office. Yeah. Also, they look nice. They do. <laughs> but um yeah the carbon capture the carbon exchange mm -hmm. so what, what can um what can i, I do 
Like, so I'm, mm -hmm. I'm one of the people that says, I don't like a smoky August. And I think everybody else is like that. So what can, I mean, I'm not a part of the, you know, I, th I think that, I think, you know, go out to the, the shoots club or forest project website, you know, understand what's happening, you know, understand the, the shoots, what website, sorry, the shoots collaborative forest project, you pull that up? DCFP. And, you know, understand what's happening in our forests and, and how that will really help. You know, it's never going to be 100%. And we're not, you know, and I think especially with our drier, it seems like we're having drier years and hotter years. Mm -hmm. um, and that's, you're never going to have no fire, but it's really about managing it the best we can with the tools we have and really letting that happen. And understanding the value of it. So now if you go out into the areas, for instance, that were logged five, four, three years ago that are next to our community, mm -hmm. I mean, you can begin, like in the springtime, you can listen to the birds. You can see that the elk have run through it. Um, you know, you can see all the different animals that are in there that you didn't see like five years ago, right? Mm -hmm. It was a different, it was a, actually a different ecosystem to some extent. Sure different types of plants, different types of animals. And so there's a shift, you know, shift, right? And we need, you know, we need them all to be there, but we need a, a more balanced community, hopefully natural community. And again, Bend is really one of those towns and communities in central Oregon that truly values having a healthy and accessible natural forest and landscape to, to go into. So I think most of us would probably agree we want to take care of it somehow. And the question is really, you know, educate ourselves that we can reach agreement faster and what that looks like and contribute towards that. But yeah, make sure your fires are put out. First and foremost, pour wire on your campfire, pour uh -huh. water on your campfire, make sure it's out, really out. Because human-caused fires are, you know, a fairly large percentage really mm -hmm. of the fires that get away. And so those are the ones that we have great at right preventing that and eliminating that percentage of wildfires is um of fires is super important yeah don't throw cigarettes out of your car if you do yeah smoke. i mean if you're yeah smoking. if you're hauling a trailer you know the chain creates sparks boom that's what started warm springs on yeah well we had them in inside town oh really yeah i mean people going up and down neff road oh. like it, sparks came off of some trailer we don't of course know who it is but we know that those sparks came from the roadway Oh. and ignited the dry grass along the side of the roadway. Could you go to get involved, um, Mitch? So, let's see. Much more work happened. So, I have to dive into this. A lot of text. Yeah. They need to make a little go. less text. <laughs> well, like, that's what you've you got. That's what you've got. I mean, the whole minute, I think, is a, is a pretty nice overview of yeah. kind of you know, it, it gives you a better sort of skim across mm -hmm. what the leading themes are and then gives you an opportunity to look really quickly and then there are little quick write-ups. And and if you are if you want to go hiking out in the forest or you want to go mountain biking. So what pays for this? Are these, um, are these the guys that do the burns? You know, this is so much volunteer work. You have no, I mean. Are they to prescribe burns? All 19 of us who sit on that on that board. I mean, a couple people are paid. I mean, uh -huh. we have minimal staff. I mean, it is really about the community coming together and agreeing on this work. So, the Forest Service, we get some federal funding for uh -huh. this work, and the Forest Service has some staffing, but it's it's a skinny budget. 
Sure. It's so, a super skinny budget, actually. So these guys do the prescribed burns then? The shoots? So, yeah. Okay. There's, it, they lead it up, but there are fire crews that come from all over the Northwest okay. in the spring and the fall. And this is really important for people to know. So prescribed burns. So a lot of the, um, the, the fuel buildup has been removed. And then teams come from all over the Northwest. You know, the humidity has to be just right, has to be, you know, just enough moisture, just mm -hmm. dry enough. The weather report has to be perfect. So there's an updraft. So whatever smoke does come gets basically updrafted in a way and dispersed. Um, so everybody's ready and they know when it's going to start and where the edges of, of it are, right? Which is so, so we think of a prescribed burn and then they lay down the fire on the land so it burns just to the edge of where the next little line of fire was laid on the ground. So think of that versus a wildfire where you don't know when it's going to start. You don't know who can get there fast. You don't know what you have no control over the fuel load at all. And you don't know if you can stop it. Okay. So. And it may not be safe to get crews in there to even yeah. stop it. Right. There's that too. That's very. So, uh, so what I'm uh, very interested in is how, uh, you know, supporting this. So it sounds like volunteer time can help like getting involved, contacting, how can I volunteer? Um, and then as far as scaling up uh, prescribed burns, because if we need like even anywhere close, even if it's 10X instead of 100X, well, let's say it is 100X, the amount of prescribed burns, well, that's gotta be paid for and done for on something. So, and that typically should be coming from taxes or things of that nature. So maybe there's legislature. I'm not sure. I'm not, I'm not a politician, but I do know that that's something that it should be in the community's best interest so that the community doesn't burn to the ground. Yeah. Cause so we live in a tinderbox. Yeah. Um, certain times of year. It, it, yeah. We're it's, there. We're yeah. a glorified tinderbox. It's just, it's so, not a matter of if, but when, so if I, we don't do more about it. So I do sit at those tables on the state level. Mm -hmm. I was governor Brown appointed me to the state wildfire council and we're grappling with that because what we also know is that when a wildfire starts and we aren't able to manage or suppress it quickly enough, there's huge economic damage, there's loss of life, there's loss of you know homes and structures. Oh, one would rip through the west side um, of Bend so and, fast. And it's so expensive, yeah. right? It's ex expensive to the economies and to the forests and yeah. so, and our quality of life. Absolutely. Right. And so hard to have a good quality of life. When so no life. if, you know, if we can work with the federal government and with the state of Oregon to identify strategies and really manage more what happens in our natural areas around our communities, I think we all understand the benefit of that. Yeah. So, and exactly. And so if we can take these small, really small models, like the collaborative project, forest project, um, which has won national awards, by the way, and begin to scale it up. So increase the pace and scale. I think in the state of Oregon, we're beginning to recognize the value of that. And we really need to understand for people who, you know, who don't, who are opposed to it, we really need to understand their concerns and really to, you know, share their concerns. We need to understand their concerns and really work together more closely to understand the values that we're all working towards. Because I really feel like, you can't just go do it without having the social license. Yeah. Um, you don't want to be stuck in court, which is where a lot of this was stuck really 10, 15 years ago before we started the collaborative work. 
And there's still a lot of tension and back and forth that goes on to even get to a force that looks like that. So to increase the pace and scale, we've just got to find more middle ground and find more trust in how we work on this stuff together. It's true of really anything that we implement as a, as a politician. I think that's probably the most important piece that I'm really interested in working on is how do we identify mm -hmm. our shared values and identify the middle ground where we can go further and faster because whether or not it's affordable housing or transportation or clean air and taking care of our natural forests, I mean, that's where it's at. Everybody gets locked up if you end up in the courts. That's not a good solution. I completely agree. Most of the time, every once in a while, but most of the time. I wanted to um, wrap up by um, asking you um, about all the heat that you've been getting for appointing Chris Piper. Oh. And I, I'll just kind of leave it at that. Like, what? Um, why have you been getting heat for those that don't know? And um, why you made a decision? Thank you for asking. Mm -hmm. And, you know, um, I respect every single colleague on council and I recognize the value of having a diversity of backgrounds and voices. And I recognize having only seven spots on council, you need people who will represent those voices, even if you don't have an, um, even if they don't sit on that dais at the moment. So, and in that moment, um, appointing someone who didn't go through the electrical process, I was looking for somebody who was willing to work with people regardless of their background or their value sets, right? Is really open-minded, who understood all the city issues, who, um, or could learn them really quickly and really paid attention to community over time. And, um, and who really cares about our town. So, um, I, in a, I mean, I must have, I don't, I read every single resume. Um, I rated every single applicant. I looked at it through the lens of community values and readiness. Um, and I wanted somebody who was politically balanced, mm -hmm. who wasn't far left and wasn't far right. And who was willing to work with everybody. And at the end of the day, I'm really proud of the work that Chris Piper has done since he's been appointed and in some pretty controversial issues. And I'm thinking of Maripon in particular, but there have been others. I think he's gone out of his way to meet with stakeholders all over the spectrum of values and needs. And, um, and I really respect and admire him for that. There were some really qualified candidates. It's a hard choice, um, but I feel fortunate that that appointment and, and from my perspective was as solid as possible. And I, and when we talk about diversity, equity, inclusion, um, I want to be really clear that that's a very important value of the councils. It's one of our priorities. It's in our goals. Um, we're working hard on that work every day. I look at every single committee and I want to be sure that we grow all those different backgrounds and voices in our committees for our community and for the city um, council, mm -hmm. direct committees especially. And I, I really hope and expect that those people will be running for council and I think they will serve our um, city really well. And I look forward to work, working with them and as a leader growing people into those positions. Yeah. But it was hard because we needed somebody who, who was totally 
ready to go and had the bandwidth and the capacity. And, and I can understand yeah. people getting um, uh, on a high horse talking about, well, well, we need to bring in more uh, diverse person into the role. Um, but when the simple decision is just like, well, this is a person that you find to be most qualified and I'm sorry uh, that they're a white male. I don't think you should be sorry about that. I mean, this is our company here is mostly females. And that wasn't because we're trying to be pushing uh, female empowerment. It's just because they they were the best people for the positions and they've grown in them and they've done a great job. And that's just and it doesn't matter what's in between their legs. They just are good. And Chris has just been doing a good job and he's just good. And sometimes you just need the best candidate that you feel possible and I, I wish you didn't have to get crap for what the color well, of his well, skin thanks. is well and here's what i will say too is that i our community although the the council is nonpartisan, and i actually love that yeah um because i feel like there are issues and values on either side of the political spectrum that are valuable for our community as a whole and so we had Three members that were slightly more progressive, three members that trended maybe slightly more conservative or moderate. And I really wanted somebody really in the middle who could reach across every bridge, no matter what your value sets were, and, mm -hmm. and engage them and hear them and take their input to craft a really solid policy for our community as a whole. And so that, that was where I started way back in the early November. And Honestly, I think in this particular moment, that's where we ended as a council. And it'll be, and now we can go into the next election cycle and people can vote, right? And then they can vote whether or not, you know, they're for. Mm -hmm. Interestingly enough, there are three women who will stay on council and there are four men who will be up for election. And so you can look at through that prism or you can say, I want somebody who really serves our community as a whole. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, We'll either keep them or, you know, the, elect the electorate will decide. Yeah. And it so, and I will what work with. And says. It should just be what they are as yeah. a person. So as mayor, I, again, I respect our colleagues. I will work with whoever, you know, is elected. And mm. I'm happy to work with community members throughout our community. You know, mm. one thing I will say, though, as a mayor, so many people reach out to me. And I think it's really important for people to know. I don't have an office and I don't have a de dedicated staff person. And I have hundreds of people who reach out to me every week. And so we do our best to respond to everyone. And I'm working on strengthening that. But there's so much opportunity as a leader to really serve our greater community and everyone in our community. And I really take that to heart. And um, so not everybody gets like an instant personal response and dialogue with me. It's like, I'm doing my very best to hear everyone and to really work with my colleagues to create great um, policy and really listen to strong, um, well-grounded ideas to move our community forward. Because like we started out saying, I mean, we're never going to stay in the same place very long, either in our family lives or business lives or in our community lives. So how do, how do we all work together to create the bend of tomorrow? Because I want it to be as kick-ass and great as the bend that we live in today. And I think it's pretty cool. Well, so far you're in. You've been doing a great job. Oh, thank you. Thank, thank you, bud. Well, thank you so much for being on the show. It's oh, my gosh. I hugely appreciate being yeah. here. All right. Oh. <laughs> Thanks a lot. Thank you.